Before we get started with today's episode, I want to make sure and thank our sponsors, Alert Communications, Law Clerk, and Abby Connect. Your legal work requires your full attention. So how can you answer all the phone calls from newer existing clients while juggling your caseload? Try Abby Connect, the friendly, industry-trained live receptionist who are well-known for consistently providing high-quality customer service, lead intake, and appointment setting to firms just like yours. Visit abby.com forward slash LTN or call 833-ABBY-WOW for your free 14-day trial and $95 off your first bill. So if I was starting today as a new solo, I would be something like by becoming a leader in the field. The way they've done it earlier. Do that by What it means to be fulfilled. New approach, new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap, making that leap. Hi, everyone, and welcome to New Solo on Legal Talk Network. I'm Adriana Linares. I'm your host. It's a new year. New Solo has a new, um, let's see, we can't say look and feel, so I'm going to go with New Solo has a new sound and feel. I hope you like it. We've got a new special segment that you're going to hear about um, about the middle of today's podcast recording, and I'm excited to get started with a new look and feel for, for the show. So I hope you, I really hope you like it. I'm a legal technology trainer and consultant. I help lawyers and law firms use technology better. And one of the ways I get to do that is through this podcast, where I invite industry experts and lawyers to give us their insights, experiences, trials, and tribulations of trying to run their own practices better or their businesses better. So today, my guest is Brad Reeser. Brad is an attorney in... Brad, remind me where your office is. Newport News, Virginia. Newport News, Virginia. And what kind of practice do you all have? So each individual fiefdom uh, has a little bit different proportions to what they do, but our kind of uh, specialty is Longshore Act defense, which is a federal workers' compensation statute. And then about 75 to 80% of my practice is the longshore work, commercial litigation arising out of longshore coverage and, and things, and then state and federal tort litigation. And then the remainder, remaining 20 is about consumer litigation, employment litigation, commercial litigation, a nice little mix. So, you know, enough to keep me interested and uh, very busy. Wow, that's a really interesting specialized area of law that I don't hear too much of. So you must have a boutique firm. You know, I'm not sure if some of the partners are, uh, you know, young enough to call it a boutique, but um, <laughs> I, I think it's a boutique firm just because of the longshore specialty. Yeah. And, and it's a pretty niche, um, I hope I said that right, uh, niche. It, uh, it comes up all the time on the show. We can never decide if it's niche, niche, or niche. So, you know, we're just going to, any of them will do. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> kind of like voir dire or something. Exactly. But, yeah, so... Different kinds of industrial employers, uh, non-appropriated fund entities, and other you know kind of interesting people to work for have that yeah. kind of need, and so it's taken me um, you know up and down the East Coast the past five years working for some really good people, and um, you know don't have any plans to stop doing it. That's awesome. Tell me your full name and the firm that you work for. Sure. So full name is uh, Bradley Reeser, and our firm is uh, Mason, Mason, Walker, and Hedrick. We've been around for about thirty-five years uh, in mm -hmm. the Hampton Roads area. You know, I work for uh, three partners. We have two other associates. Uh, mm -hmm. We have about 16, I think, employees right now. Sometimes we go up or down one, you know, based on volume. But we uh, are staying very busy, even among all this COVID craziness. And, 
as you well know, and the reason I'm here, we had a pretty big um, IT transition mm -hmm. in 2020, and we are, I think, all for the better, but uh, very much glad it's behind us. You're right. That's the whole reason you're here is you are a, um, let's see, how can I put this? You play a popular role in firms that are about your size, meaning a firm that probably has less than 30 total employees, including the attorneys, and they don't have a full-time IT person. So what happens a lot is change needs to be made. And, you know, the older partners might look around going, not I, not I, not me. <laughs> and so they, the gaze always tends to turn in the conference room to the young attorney in the room. <laughs> and they either say, hey, Brad, you know, you're the young whippersnapper. You can figure out this technology stuff. Or the young whippersnappers will turn to the partners and say, hey, I think we'd be able to run a more efficient firm if we modernized some of our technology and infrastructure. So which side of the coin was your firm on? I think the first one, although uh -huh. maybe for the past four years, they probably did grow tired of me like telling them about, you know, how to use Adobe and things like that. But right. uh to be fair to my partners, they're not, they're not my partners, right? I'm an associate, to be clear. But, you know, in the mid to late 90s, they, you know, got this PC-based case management system, installed a file server. And, you know, for a small firm, that was pretty a pretty big deal back then. Yes. And as you know, uh, case management platforms and document management tools are moving to the cloud. And we, you know, eventually had to make that switch. And in fact, if we didn't make that switch, it was going to get made for us by the, the owner of the Abacus, the desktop-based platform. They mm -hmm. were going to try to push us to the cloud eventually, we think. And that whole movement in 2020 was really spurred by some compliance issues that our clients mm -hmm. pushed down on us. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, essentially, contractors for the federal government require their subcontractors to do certain things to secure information technology. And... We were doing a lot of things, but they weren't really ready for like the 24-page list of really specific requirements that require, you know, not just an acceptable use policy, but an incident response plan and all of that kind of stuff. And so, security measures and role-based access that a lot of times they require you to be able to set up for users in the firm. Okay, oh yeah. so there was client impetus for considering change. Certainly. And then you raised your hand oh, so eagerly and said, I'll manage this project because I have nothing better to do. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's <laughs> pretty much how it went. Not at all. Right. Uh, right so we're, right, we're, yeah. we're, we're all at a conference room table. It's got all the attorneys. So you're already like, you know, not happy because it's, it's a meeting where uh, all the no attorneys money are is there. Being billed right now. Yeah, exactly. Right. The meter right. is not running. And so it really, uh, the other three attorneys that are the partners, they certainly didn't have time to dedicate to the project. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're on the bubble as a firm from being, um, having like our, our kind of on-call IT guy like we have mm -hmm. to really having a need for, I think what they call a managed service provider. Sure. So, you know, someone that, you know, essentially is, I guess, like always available 24-7 to remote in and solve problems at an, you know, a quote-unquote enterprise level. So we decided not to go with a managed service provider and just kind of drill out all the requirements on this list. And, you know, as part of doing that, we were like, well, okay, if we're, if we're doing 
X, Y, and Z, we might as well, you know, pull off the Band-Aid with Abacus. Yeah. So Abacus is an interesting product that I get a lot of calls about. And and oftentimes it's from the West Coast. So I don't get a lot of, and I've said this for probably 20 years. It's so funny. I don't get a lot of firms east of the Mississippi that use Abacus. For some reason, they've always been sort of on the West Coast. And, but when I do, it's been over the past few years that, you know, they're not cloud-based. And the migration to either their new cloud-based solution or a better solution under their guise is, is, is going to be expensive. So firms start looking around. So my question to you is, how did you start looking around? What did you, okay, once the decision was made that maybe we should see what's out there outside of Abacus, and you're not a full-time legal technology consultant, how did you get started? Where did you sort of point your um, arrow in what direction and how? I started looking at people that specialize in migrating the data off of case management systems. So one mm-hmm. of the first guys I talked to, I think, specialized in CenterBase, uh-huh, um, sure. which is a, another platform. And mm-hmm. he and a bunch of other people told me all of these nightmare scenarios we were going to have with getting data out of Abacus and into a new platform. And so that like led to like consults with my case people mm-hmm. and sure. I think, like Rocket Matter. And then we eventually came to you. I think I heard you on Neil Tyra's podcast possibly. Uh Um, And then I got over to your station. And when it came time to do the Clio uh, consult, we we reached out to you and we're very glad we did. Oh, good. So all those products you mentioned are great products. What I'll say very quickly for listeners is when, when a lawyer calls me or a law firm calls me and says, where do we start? I'll say, look, here are your top five options. And then there's two extras. So Uh, And this is probably the conversation you and I had. I said, you know, if you want the best case management program that's not going to be too complicated and does not include accounting, start with Clio, but make sure you look at Rocket Matter in my case. And then I'll say, if you are insisting on having accounting built in, look at Zola and look at Cosmolex. And the other two that I'll often mention are Action Step and CenterBase because they're pretty robust. They can include accounting. They integrate with document management systems. The thing with those two products is they require a lot of customization and probably a long-term relationship with an outside consultant or someone in-house that becomes, you know, the expert on the products. So when you're trying to decide which way to go, those are the three kind of buckets to start in. And for you, I think when we talked about it, I said, you're, you're actually not that big you're already on Office 365, so you know what it's like to have a subscription service that's cloud-based. And the other suggestion, of course, is, or sort of the overall theme in moving to cloud-based services is you're going to reduce that infrastructure to where you don't necessarily need managed services as much. So I think that's kind of where you got. I think you must have gone through those iterations through different consultants and reading different things and then ended up deciding to go with Clio. Yeah, and it came down to Rocket Matter and Clio for mm-hmm. us, and I sure. think I think everyone will admit that they're very similar products. Yeah, they're just more integrations with Clio. Mm-hmm. And Clio's a tad more expensive, but not really. The thing about Clio is it's a bigger company than a, a company like CenterBase, and so when you're risk yeah. averse, it's like you know, maybe you just pay for the the market leader in some ways. I don't know, and I don't know yeah. if Clio is like the technical market leader, but probably right. Right. I mean, they've got, I think at this point, like 400 employees. They got a $250 million injection of funding last year. You know, the company's well-developed, well-staffed, and it is a a really good product. And what you mentioned, 
in integrations is typically the reason most firms end up going with it because it has so many integrations. Okay. So you went through the demos, you talked to all the right people, and then you turned to the office and you said, okay, everybody, it's going to be Clio. And what was everyone's reaction? Well, I think people lost their minds in terms of the support <laughs> staff, but, right. um, but that's because- So you weren't getting high fives and hugs as you walked down the hallway? The complaints are always, I think, louder than the people that are really enjoying it. And, and I think now that we're, I guess, like three months out, I think everyone really likes Clio. Really? Uh, it's un undoubted that it's way easier to yeah. get time in and get you know reports and bills out than it, compared to what we were using before. And not only that, just like anything, there's a learning curve. And probably for every serial complainer I dealt with, there were two other employees that were like, oh, Brad, we love you uh, for Aww. doing this and taking it on. Yeah. So, but you know those those emails weren't weren't as frequent as the uh, as the complaint emails. <laughs> they never are, Brad. Ever, <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> I don't want you to think you're in some weird warp in a law firm. Uh, they never are. So you decided to go with Clio, and you know this is an important thing we should also cover because this is what you led with, which was migrating the data. So were you able to get everything out of Abacus, and how painful was that? Not painful at all. And some of that, I guess I'll have two comments I'll make on, on that point. So number one is Clio doesn't guarantee you that they are going to migrate the text of your emails that are, are saved to any case management product. And our um, data migration specialist at Clio did that for free. She just did it on top, even though she wasn't you know, contractually required to. And so that was very nice. And step two is, is we didn't actually migrate any of our old billing data. Mm -hmm. That's always a good idea. Yeah. Well, it's not a good idea. You'd love to have it, but that tends to be kind of rocky ground when it comes to exporting and typical. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it was interesting. Part of that was our firm was using you know QuickBooks and, and not necessarily using the, the baked in Abacus accounting and they weren't all synced up. That's just the fiefdom nature of our firm. Right. But it was super easy to get all of our historical billing data in. It just went in with the with the rate and the gross amount of time billed per line item. We just put the rate at, at a zero, I think, and and had to do a parenthetical on what the hourly was. And so, long story short, when you go to generate a bill, you're just clicking boxes that you want to add to the bill. You change the rate in a batch format in Clio. It's pretty straightforward, and we got all of our data out that we wanted to. Long story short. Yeah, I think that's pretty typical. They do free migrations, which is yet another reason that a lot of firms will choose Clio because some want to charge and they do it for you. They have a really good migrations team. So the thing that I want to make sure and tell everyone is that you did all this work. I mean, it's not like Clio logs into your Abacus server and exports your data for you, right? So you took a lot of time. You spent a lot of time. You and I spent an hour alone together just setting Clio up initially and learning how it works. So you spent a lot of your billable time doing all this. Yes, it's painful. Right. <laughs> so getting the, the micro, getting the data out of Abacus is, is pretty straightforward. You know, Clio will tell you how to, um, you know, download the certain file that you need uh, to do your backup. And then you spend, you know, a couple different calls going through Excel, what essentially are, are Excel spreadsheets and, mm -hmm. and you, you pick what you want to ax and what you want to import. And then I wrote that up for our firm's partners, and I said, listen, I think 
you know, this is the best way to do it. This is what they're recommending. We got the guy who is our de facto managing partner on the phone for the very last, you know, round mm-hmm. with the, the consult specialist. And he's like, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And I think she had it done like five days after we sent her the final import, maybe six or seven uh, to, to finish all of the emails. But we imported something like 10,000 matters from Abacus. Oh, wow. So it, was, it wasn't like a a light job, but I guess that's just the power of, of some of the tools they use to Yeah. And you managed to bring over, you know, for, again, for people who are thinking about this conversion, you brought over contacts, client matter, names and numbers and calendaring information. Yes. And there's the one thing that we actually didn't bring over is kind of worth noting because it's the one good Mm. thing Abacus did. They saved like a .msg file of your email, Mm -hmm. like to a folder that was under your, you know, you know, on, on your network drive, right? Yep. And, and then yep. when you clicked it, it was like a link and it would open an Outlook. So we actually have all of those emails still saved on our firm server. And there's a way I'm sure that we can hire someone to actually go take the backup mm-hmm. file we sent to Clio and then, you know, probably take those emails from the file server and put them, you know, in, in the cloud or something. But we haven't done that yet. And the data isn't going anywhere. It's just, it's just not getting used, I guess. And you might find that it's not getting missed either. And after a year of not having it, you might find that maybe we don't need to import that. <laughs> well, and, and that's probably what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, you know, I say this all the time. And if you've listened to my show before, I say a lot of times lawyers like to keep a haystack just in case they ever need a needle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good. And so that's what happens in cases like this. It's like, oh my God, we can't get rid of those emails. And then it turns out you never, ever need them. And having brought them in would have just been for naught anyway. So maybe that's what's going to end up happening to you. Let me take a quick break and listen to some messages from some sponsors before we go on with this great conversation. Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a research memo or a complicated appellate brief, our network of freelance lawyers have every level of experience and expertise. Signing up is free and there are no monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Use rebate code NEWSOLO to get a $100 Amazon gift card when you complete your next project. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. All right, everyone. I'm excited to introduce a new segment into New Solo that we're calling New Insights. I thought it would be great to get more listeners involved in New Solo. And thank you to everyone who always sends me notes and feedback about how helpful the show is. And I want to make it even more helpful. Here's how it's going to work. We're going to have an attorney who has some burning questions that they want answered by an experienced attorney, pose four questions, one question per episode, to an experienced attorney who's gonna answer those questions and we're all gonna get to learn together. So my first two guests are Robert Southwell and Eric Ganchi. So let me introduce you to Robert Southwell. A little bit about me, I work in Salem, Oregon. I take mostly court-appointed criminal defense cases. I've been practicing for about a year here within the county and some of the municipal courts. Obviously, I'm a new solo, so still learning a lot. But before this, I actually worked for a couple of years as a prosecutor. So always kind of been interested in criminal law and always will be. And you can always find me at southwelllaw.com as well. Thanks, Robert. I'm happy to have you as a part of this. And now let's hear a little bit about Eric. First of all, thanks for having me. My name is Eric Ganchi. I am a lawyer in San Diego. I've been licensed since 2009. I did... 11 years of of doing my own solo practice, most of that as a true solo, 
and was focused on doing DUI defense, representing people who were accused and arrested of DUI, driving under the influence, both alcohol and drugs. Did a lot of trials while I was doing that. I have uh, logged 72 trials and I have one trial left to go. I am currently now with Casey Geary. I got offered a, a position with them doing civil litigation and I'm very excited that I've been with them since about May of 2020. Uh, you can go to my website, which is Ganchi, E-S-Q, that's G-A-N-C-I-E-S-Q.com. Okay, Robert, we're excited to hear your first question for Eric. So my first question for Eric is, this came up in a trial I had recently. I just had a very difficult client. I was worried they might act out in front of the jury. They have impulse control issues from my uh, jail visits, so... I thought it made more sense to go with a bench trial because I didn't want him to do anything to sabotage himself. I didn't think a judge would hold that against him. But at the same time, I feel like the judge, I didn't agree with the ruling. Let's just put it that way. So I guess for Eric, what are your factors when considering whether or not to waive jury trial? So there's a few things that I think about when doing a bench trial or a jury trial. The main thing that I would do even before COVID in thinking about a jury trial is thinking about scheduling because when you have a jury trial, the schedule is vastly different than when you're doing a bench trial. To start, when you're doing a jury trial, you're going to be picking a jury and so many judges do their jury selection so differently. I've had judges where they would pick a jury in you know half of a day and I've had judges where the jury selection would take like a day and a half or longer. And then there would be times where you'd start jury selection maybe on like a Friday or maybe the court was dark on Friday or it would start on Thursday, but then it would kick over anyway. But I would have my expert like, hey, can you do this date? And then that date would then get pushed back, which then turns into the conversation of, hey, can you do a date that's a little bit later? And that can just turn into a mess because if that expert has other obligations or other hearings that they're testifying for, that could you know mess up your schedule with that and then also could mess up the financial stuff for your client or you if you're paying for the expert that uh, if an expert is charging you for doing holding on to more than one day or has to come back another day to come testify so that's a big thing to determine with with juries um, whether to do jury or bench trial another thing that i would think about is whether or not if it was a more guttural issue like if i think that the main issue with the trial is something that hits you more in the gut then maybe I would do a jury trial because juries tend to be a little bit more guttural than what a judge can be. But if the issue was more technical or like a more like legal techie type of issue, then I may want a a judge to be hearing that because many times judges can kind of slice and dice and, and split hairs with the law a little bit easier if it's a really fine issue that you're dealing with. I also had a trial that I did where the, the client needed to have a resolution of the case, period. And of course, I wanted to win, but we needed a resolution of the case, period. And the benefit of doing a bench trial with a judge is that you're going to get an answer in, in criminal. It would be guilty or not guilty, or in the silver realm, it would be, you know, like liable versus not liable. And then, you know, maybe what the damages would be. But if you're doing a jury trial, not so much on the civil end, but on the criminal end, if a jury hangs on any of the charges, meaning that they can't vote for guilt or they can't vote for innocence, then you get a hung jury, which is not a conviction, woohoo, but you just may have won yourself doing another trial. <laughs> so another trial could be set like another month or two or three or four or more 
down the road. And then that could push out things that the client needs to do with, you know, life in general, with getting things wrapped up or immigration issues or getting experts lined up again, because now we have to redo another trial, or maybe they have to pay your fee again if you're going to be doing a retrial based on a hung jury. So those are some of the initial things I would think about in whether to do a bench trial or a jury trial. If you have a client that can be difficult, either acting difficult or they're perceived as being difficult, that's going to be a very similar issue both with a jury and a bench um, and with a judge. The judge may be able to understand it a little bit more, whereas juries, you don't get a chance to like talk about what's going on. um, And you can't just like, unless your client testifies, you can't have them explain like, why are you doing that? (laughs) I noticed that you're acting X way. Why? The jurors want to know. But with a bench trial, you may get that opportunity to explain to the judge or to opposing counsel, probably both as to what's going on, if there's a reason that the client is acting the way that they're acting. If the client is just acting, just being crazy, just in general, I don't know. I guess it's a toss-up. It depends on who your judge is and who your jurors that you may pull. I don't know if I would want to do, I I would depend on what the client's position was and how I think that they would be portraying themselves. And, And if I knew what judge I was going to have for the trial, that may affect it. And if I knew what pool the jurors were going to be pulled from that may affect my decision on that too. All right. So that was Robert's first out of four questions for Eric. Make sure you listen to the next three episodes to catch the rest of the conversation. And now let's hear a message from our sponsors. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7-365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com forward slash LTN. All right, we're back, everyone, and I've got Brad Reeser from Mason, Mason, Walker, and Hedrick, and there is no N in that Hedrick. <laughs> yeah, there there isn't, but they uh, <laughs> that gets messed up all the time. People love putting it in there, and Mr. Hedrick <laughs> gets very upset. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it, our printing company for our paper, don't, don't even get me started on the fact that we pay for custom stationery. They, they've oh messed that up. It's long story. Okay. We won't even talk about that right now. <laughs> so in the first segment, we really talked about getting you being the engine behind moving your firm from what I refer to as a traditional practice management program that's server-based um, to something more modern like Clio, which is what you all decided on. And I want to ask you, a lot of attorneys listening or influencers in their firm are going to be wondering how it went with the staff. And you did say earlier you know, I had more complaints than I had attaboys, but tell us a little bit about what it took to train your staff, because you did say it also earlier, you know, I find that traditional practice management programs are harder to use, less intuitive, because at the time of their development, we didn't think too much about the user experience and, you know, UI, but now these modern programs, that's basically everything. So how did your staff adapt to looking at a, a dashboard on Clio? I think for most of our 
non-billable staff. It was a lot of learning by doing. Sure. We actually, you, you know this, but we have the Faster Suite plugin. And, you know, even though we had firm, we had the two firm trainings through Clio, we had a, a, a session through you, and then we invited anybody in our law mm-hmm. firm to um, double up in, in at least, you know, two people and then book sessions with you. Not mm-hmm. one person took took uh, you up on nope. that, unfortunately. But anyway. Uh, actually, that's kind of a good sign when that happens, because that means they aren't struggling that hard. But I do want to commend you for giving everyone multiple opportunities to get the help if they needed it. Yes. I mean, and, and what we, everyone here at our firm is a professional at the end of the day. So yeah. I think you're right. It probably is a good sign in some ways. But, you know, like I said, we had the Clio, we had you. And then w- once we started doing the faster suite training, a couple mm-hmm. of people came up to me and said, wow, the light really clicked because. Uh, seeing that new front end for Clio, which is you know how they like to call Faster Suite, oh. they kind of explained the tools and how things are laid out a little bit in Clio a little bit better. And we uh, love the Faster Suite email yeah, workflow. Yeah, I was going to say, tell us can... about Faster Suite and your decision to also go with that one as a layer on, as an add-on. Mm-hmm. So two reasons we went to Faster Suite. One, because it, you know we just hoard data, right? Like every law firm, <laughs> we didn't want to lose any of our emails and we wanted them to be linked to our matters. So Faster Suite has the ability to save, you know, a copy of your email, not just like a text copy, but you know, an actual you know, file copy of the email to the matter. We wanted it for that. And then we also decided against migrating off the file server to, you know, a more expensive solution like NetDocuments mm-hmm. or, or Box, at least this year. So we uh wanted to use Faster Suite to maybe give us the um, ability to do that later. But then also once we saw the the, the email tool, we were, we were pretty excited because so much work happens in email. You know, you get yeah. an email, come in, you know, you're going to build the email. You might have to note the file, you know, to put a note in the file, for example. And then maybe I want to delegate something to a, a staff member. Hey, like, you know, schedule this deposition or, you know, follow up with this court reporter or whatever. And, you know, I can do that, you know, with a couple, you know, mouse clicks and shortcuts. It's pretty cool. That's great. I, you know, I, every firm that has Faster Suite loves it and it is a great add on to Clio and it's not very expensive. So I think, well, we talked about it obviously in advance. I think that was a good decision on your part. Have you gotten into, and this might be what you're working on now. What about taking advantage and what you just said made me think of this, of the workflows in Clio, the assigning tasks, and also talk to me about custom fields and just sort of you know, now that you have this easy place to add custom information, to merge documents easily, what have you been doing insofar as those options or what are you thinking about over the next couple of months? You know, step one was just, you know, of the of the inter- of the migration was just making sure people could use these, um, you know, tools in terms of putting time in, getting data in, um, you know, working on matters like they did in Abacus, right? So Abacus probably did have a, a document merge tool, but they, they weren't using it. And so what we did was, before we rolled this out, we set up the fields that we want to use for our, our two, you know, big kind of cases, right? Like our all of our workers' comp cases and all of our essentially like tort defense type cases. And then we also have two fields that are, or I think two or three fields on every matter, which is, you know, has a conflict check been done? Mm-hmm. And, you know, who is the referral source? We, I wanted to start tracking mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah, good idea. So, yeah, so we have those fields set up. We have the ability to, for example, generate, you know, letters using like, you know, opposing counsel's name, mm-hmm. case number, you know, the court it's in, 
all different kinds of information that we put on different form letters. Just and, and let me interrupt you for just a second because there's something important here that I think everyone should hear. Yeah. You created those custom fields and you have created the merge documents. So back to you being the one taking on this burden and not billing time. So you've been doing all that work yourself, which one, the reason I'm saying that is, well, one, there is a time commitment that has to be had. But here's the other thing yes. I just want to say, and I just don't take this as an insult because it's not. It's easy, right? It's not as if you had to learn coding or go out and take a class. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> You're right. So if you know how to like, you know, drag and drop files on your desktop, you can copy and paste these fields, which are automatically generated by Clio once you set up your field. You just go to the page where all your custom fields are, and then you copy and paste them into a document and get your document formatted like you want to. But I mean, what is difficult about this is every time I do a, a form mm-hmm. or a workflow, I have to go make sure it's all perfect and I have to revise the form. And it's, it it's not just me time. copying and pasting, right? Right. So the, the, the formatting in the Word document has to be perfect. Oh, oh yeah. And so that's, <laughs> that is uh, what is holding me up. But, you know, for shame a little bit because we're not using the document automation like we should be, but we're just going to start rolling it out in steps. I mean, the document automation is really probably phase two uh, of our migration and using these tools along with some more of our integrations. We already have some integrations um, set up, but but not as many as we'd like. We're going to start recovering soft costs with large mm-hmm. printing uh, jobs eventually. Yeah. And then the first thing I really want to automate is the uh, generation of document subpoenas mm-hmm. because that is that takes a lot of time and people don't really want to pay for that. So <laughs> it has to get automated. True. Yeah, yeah. When did you start doing the migration and when did the hard work really start? So with the case management transition, the real work started probably in October because that's when we started doing our calls with our onboarding specialist. The last day we used Abacus was November 2, I believe. So Of 2020, that, right? Of 2020. Okay, so that was yeah. the that was the day I did our final backup close of mm-hmm. business, I believe November 2. And then we ha- had to use a placeholder matter for um, a week. And then we, you know, we're, we're quote unquote live with Clio with all of our data migrated. And I think there were two extra days there on the end for the emails. But um, in terms of, of doing the, the document forms, I, I started that probably, you know, a little earlier. And I, I asked people, hey, please send me all the forms that you right. want to, um, you know, have part of the build, you know, any notes you can give me about what your workflows are and what we can automate, that would be very helpful. And our two paral- two of our paralegals that actually now, um, they're full-time employees, but they just are still working remotely. They were really good about saying, hey, you know, for every long, short case, we create these four documents every time we open a file. And, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, th- these are the things, these are the, like, I think literally like 14 or or 20 different versions of settlement documents that we use. And gee, that would be great to automate them because it is a huge time suck to you right. know generate this document. And so did you get an appreciation for all the work that's done on the back end by staff by having to go through all this that you probably didn't even realize was happening? Yeah, I mean, especially some of the paralegals with all of the um, yeah. the documents they generate that are, are very you know fact-specific in some ways. But it, it just has to get done. And man... I'm glad they're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I applaud your partners for, you know, seeing the light. And I'm sure COVID also just made it more pressing to be able to work remotely and not have to remote in and do things like that. Yeah. Uh, one thing I don't want to forget to ask you, and that is you are a Mac and a PC. 
Yeah, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, just being able to have a Mac or two, and you're probably not the only one that's able to work using these more modern programs. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I fell in love with the uh, Mac my first year of law school. I had a 2012 MacBook Air, and I really loved, like, the, the OS. And I'd probably used, like, a Macintosh computer, like, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid or something. But mm-hmm. um, that was my first modern Mac. I still have that computer, actually. But I, I'm using <laughs> a 2017 MacBook Pro. And I remote into my my desktop. I have a you know a Dell PC at, uh-huh. on my desk with two monitors, and this is like a great machine to remote into because you get the best of both worlds. But I I, I enjoy just some of the apps like I use OmniFocus for task management, great. and you know I'm playing around with drafts and a couple other things. And you know Clio is a little is pretty agnostic, right? Because yes. you're in in the browser, so. Mm-hmm. My new thing is I have my Clio open on my Mac and I have Dragon on my Mac, so I just dictate into note fields in Clio when I when I, yeah. for example, do like a document review. And then that's in in the case management system now. And then I just go copy and paste that when I go to the PC to do my letter or whatever it is. And that way, um, you know, you can, you know, for example, like, you know, save something to a cloud drive or you can email yourself something that you've dictated on your Mac. But uh I can just dump it all into the case management system now. It's pretty cool. And what are you still remoting in for? So what is the infrastructure that's left at the office that eventually you might replace with something that's cloud-based so that you don't have to remote in? Probably two things. Well, one is I don't technically have to remote in to access the firm's file server, but I do find that it's maybe a little easier when I'm in the um, like remote remoting mm-hmm. in environment. And then the Microsoft Office, uh, the, the word specifically, is just a little bit different in the uh, Mac than it mm-hmm. is on the PC. And I like the way the characters and styles and some of the other things, uh, those tools work in the Windows version of Word versus the uh, Mac version of Word. Have you tried the cloud-based version of Word yet? So we all have 365 mm-hmm. accounts and have the ability to do so, but but I really haven't. I, I've it's used not too Share- bad. Yeah, I mean, the only experience I have with it, I guess, is like having a document in SharePoint and then like editing like that document mm-hmm. at the same time with another like person. Yeah. But there's only one other lawyer in our firm that will play games like that with me. And <laughs> and even that partner has like limited patience for, for doing things like that. And SharePoint is really hard hard to use kind of, or it's not yeah. intuitive. I implemented SharePoint at the San Diego County Bar. So I don't know that I would encourage a law firm to use SharePoint for their document management. But yeah. I did implement it. We we had a we have a server at the the bar association and I hate servers because I think they're so risky. So I yeah. led moving us to SharePoint and Office 365. And it's been amazing, right? It's been great. But the cloud-based versions of Outlook and Word are getting better and better. Like, you know, every time, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, wait, am I in the cloud-based or am I on desktop? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's something I encourage you to do and, and teaching people how to be able to do synchronous edits and changes is very, very cool. But um, it's not a bad, I'm getting a little more warmed up to it as an option to something like NetDocs because NetDocs can be expensive. It doesn't come close to what NetDocs can do. But if it's the choice between SharePoint and an on-prem server, I'm going to encourage SharePoint at that point. Well, you know, just to highlight your point about security, I mean, if you're, obviously as lawyers, we are required to consider the, um, you know, information security setup we have for our clients' data. And if you are offloading 
when you have NetDocs or Box or whatever, you're essentially offloading a lot of that responsibility to a third party. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, you have to make sure NetDocuments is a legit company. But yeah, sure. I mean, do yeah. you really need to, for example, pay for a penetration test for your you know, firm's network and file server when it's all on the cloud? I mean, no way, right? So, <laughs> well, you could, if just to be could. just to be sure. So, Brad, last thing I'll ask you before I let you go is, I had another attorney who was the Brad of California just call you up and say, "Hey, I'm going through what you're going to going through. What did you wish you knew then that you know now that you can tell me so I don't have to be that person later? What are a couple of things that you've learned or wish you had done differently during this transition? I think maybe what I could have done better is we could have communicated how this was going to look to our staff better before it all happened, right? Mm. So, you know, a lot of the communication uh, was, you know, maybe, I, I think almost all of the communication was an email from me every morning saying, hey, here's what we're doing, right? And I think having a game plan that is communicated to your staff, you know, very clearly uh, right at the outset would be good. So, you know, by default, I, I just had to break it down into like steps for this migration, right? And the first step is, you know, make sure we can walk and then, you know, your crawl maybe, right? Just get data yeah. in and out. And then, you know, level two is, is hey, now we're going to use some of these more advanced tools. For example, the document automation mm-hmm. and, you know, capturing some soft costs. And then, you know, I think level three is probably going to be, you know, using more tools like Calendly and things like mm-hmm. that for consults. But you have to communicate that and figure out what your game plan is rather than doing it in an ad hoc fashion. And I don't mean to I don't mean to like criticize myself, but I think that's one thing I could have done better. Well, that's I guess I am of, criticizing myself. Yeah, you <laughs> so kind of I are. And I don't know that you should be because you've done a hell of a good job. Well, thank you. Well, that's great. Well, Brad, I can't thank you enough for your time and helping everyone. You know what? Before I let you go, I do want to say this. We've talked a lot about Clio, and I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch for Clio. What I want you to get out of this conversation, if you're a listener, is these are the things that you're looking to be able to do. So whatever program or tech stack you're considering, the things that Brad is implementing and thinking about and realizes are time savers, efficiency creators, security wins for his firm, are the types of questions that you want to ask when you are doing demos and looking at products and services. And I just think you've done such a good job, Brad, of of having done that for your firm, but now really you're going to exploit all those tools between Clio and Faster Suite and the integrations. And within a year, I mean, I should have you back on in about a year. You guys are going to be a screaming billing machine, you know, pretty automated. People will be able to work from anywhere on any platform that they want. And I, I think it's going to be pretty awesome for you guys. Are your partners happy? Yes, they're happy for sure. And, and, you know, thank you for having me on, Adriana. This has been great. I'm a huge nerd. So I I listen, I love listening to podcasts like this and I love coming on and talking about legal technology. And, you know, I'd love to be back in a year. I would, we have to do that for sure. Tell everyone where they can find friend, follow you, or, you know, I know I don't want to tell everybody, call Brad. He's got nothing better to do. He's happy to, (laughs) but, but you are generous with your time and I know you like talking about it. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Sure. So, I mean, our firm's website is masonwalker.com, and that will have all of our contact information. You know, my personal blog is readwritelaw.com, and so I my goal is for 2020 to post one article a month there. Awesome. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on the Twitter, but I never check it, so... <laughs> 
maybe not there, but you know, you can also call me 757-873-3909. That's the main office number. We'll uh, you know, schedule something. And uh, if you're local, let's get lunch or something. Oh, Brad, you are such a sweet guy, such a smart fella. I can't thank you enough for your time. I know everyone will appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Adriana. It's been great. All right, everyone. We've reached the end of this first year's episode of 2021. Hope you enjoyed it. I hope you um, enjoy new insights and look forward to catching you next month. If you like what you have heard today, please make sure you rate New Solo. Helps other lawyers find it. And tune in next time. But until then, remember, you're not alone. You're New Solo. I've been running from nine to five. Been biting my tongue for all this time. Won't let anyone cut me short. I was thinking this was the way to go. And you put up your puppet show. I say cheers to life. Just leave me alone. I'm running the show. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.